Nice Sky Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley. I'm Mick Garris, and this is the fun size edition of Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And asking your questions is producer Joe Russo. Joe, how are you? I'm good, Mick. It's it's good to be back. We had a a long extended AMA absence while we uh, celebrated Halloween. We had people who had questions to answer that were much more important than me. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a run, though. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis and Tommy Lee Wallace. And you Riley had to have and... Lee as a middle name to be on. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And 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 support the Halloween franchise. No, it was fun. It was it was. Uh, we had such a such a great run of episodes, and and I'm excited to uh, to get back into AMAs to to close out the season. Me too. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're getting close to the end of the yes, year. Yes, yes, absolutely. We'll see what happens beyond that. Yeah, we've got we've got a couple uh, couple fun guests left in the queue. So, uh, all right, questions. I'm ready. All right, Travolta Jedi Trekkie, 1996. Right. I'm not going to answer a question <laughs> from him <laughs> or her. <laughs> yes, you are oh, because okay. it's called Ask Mick Anything. Anything. All right, here we go. With MGM relaunching Orion Pictures, United Artists, and American International, if you could bring back one defunct movie company, what would it be? It's a really easy one, because I used to work for Avco Embassy at the time that they did The Fog, Scanners, Escape from New York, The Howling, uh, Phantasm, all of these great, great genre films. You know, Avco did a wonderful job, and then... When Bob Ramey left Avco Embassy to run Universal, um, Avco just kind of lost their horror roots and kind of disappeared completely. But they would be great to bring back. Oh, I I completely agree. I mean, and what a run! Like that, just that the list of movies you just listed. Like what, what a run! You it know, it was pretty amazing. I mean, that's within five years. All those pictures. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Pretty pretty impressive. I uh, that ev- oh, it's within two years. Those pictures. Wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was 80 and 81. Wow. Wow. I uh that Av- Avco Embassy t-shirt that, that you and I both have. Yeah, uh, that you got for me as right. a birthday gift, that's which right. was very kind of you. Oh, Thank you. Well, my pleasure. Uh I um I was wearing it at a coffee shop a couple weeks ago and the uh, barista he he basically was like, "So you going to Beyond Fest?" and I was like, I was like, that's like, what a, what a random question. I was like, I was like, yes, of course. I was like, but what made you like prompt that? He's like, your t-shirt, you're wearing an Avco Embassy t-shirt. Yeah. It wasn't a, the graduate fan, which was <laughs> yeah. the first of the Avco Embassy release. Yeah. So I just, I thought that was, I thought that was funny that like the horror community knows that brand yeah. and it is kind of iconic in that way. You it know? certainly is. And um, it was uh, really a thrill to be a part of that. I, 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 Bet it was. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'd love to see it come back. I think that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, all right. Mark wants to know, what are some truly great micro-budget horror films? Well, there are the biggies, of course. There's Blair Witch, yes. uh, which changed the course of cinema with its found footage uh, format. We've never really talked about Blair Witch that much uh, before you and I, what what was what was it like when you saw it? Like, how what were the context of you seeing it? I actually saw it on video. My uh, agents at the time sent it over for me to look at. Oh wow! So I didn't see it in a theater, but watching it on video because it's shot on video and yeah. it's like a videotape 
uh, that's found footage, kind of the father of the found footage movies. Yeah. It was incredibly effective. I thought it was amazing. I know a lot of people uh, now, because it's been so common, it doesn't have the power that it did then being the first in line. Right. But uh, I was really impressed by it. Yeah, yeah. I, I obviously I saw it under the pretenses that it was real. Uh, and yeah, well, that's the way you, <laughs> you should know, see it, yes. feeling that it's and, real. And I'm trying, I yeah. can't remember exactly, because that was 1999, right? Uh, yes, So 99. I it must have just started high school. So yeah, I mean, it was wow. like, it was, it was a, it was a biggie, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and is a biggie. Uh, and then and of obviously, course, of course, Paranormal Activity yes. came along and also continued that found footage, but in a, a little more polished way. Yep. Um, and so that changed a lot of things. Um, but but made for even less money than Blair Witch originally, which is right. Yeah. Right. Until until it they, sold they, to DreamWorks. Yeah. And then, they they, put and then in Jason Blum and Dreamworks pumped bucks some money into it. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, uh, which was a well-documented story on our Oren Pelly episode, which people should That's go right. hunt down from five years ago. Now that uh, he's pretty much retired from filmmaking. I mean, you know what? If you win the lotto, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I would still. <laughs> Yeah, do what I, I you love. know what I yeah. think I probably would too. Yeah. But, uh, but but more power to him. Yeah, you know he you was know. a successful software engineer before right. he made Paranormal Activity, so he already had a pretty good life. Yeah, and then his life changed even more. Profoundly. And now he uh, he lives out in New Zealand, and he seems very happy about yeah, it. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's avoiding our horrible political situation <clears throat> and posting beautiful <laughs> pictures of his beautiful life. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Which I watch very enviously. But uh, also, I think even uh, every bit as impressive and maybe not quite as well known are the films of like Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Yes, who've also done movies the like The Endless and. Uh, well, their most recent one, it's brand new release now, is something in the dirt, which is incredibly impressive as well. They, they do, they star in most of their own movies. Yes. They write and direct together. They do their own visual effects and cinematography, and they do really polished, smart, unique films all with a kind of a science fiction twist to them, but set in a very real world, not not spaceship sci-fi. Yeah, then they're really, and they're really, really scientific. Then they're really great guys too. Which really is, great guys, yeah. and their work is great, and and they too have been on the show, and you should check that one out if you're interested. But check out something in the dirt. So so there's some good examples of some micro. Throw one more at you. Okay. Host. Host. We love great. Hosts. Okay, yes. that that's one of the best ever. Yeah, uh, and not the Korean movie, which is also fantastic. Yes, but not a low-budget found no. footage film. <laughs> um, but to play it all on a computer screen, it's genuinely suspenseful, genuinely frightening. It's a true horror film filled with great ideas, great performances, and all plays out on a computer screen. So I, I was blown away by that one. Yeah, yeah. No, there's. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see. What that creative team is 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 cooking up next, especially Rob. He's doing the, the Stephen King adaptation right. of uh, Boogeyman. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. No, I'm always eager to see new stuff by people who've been able to create something uh, special on a dime. Me too. All right, the Shrimp Shack Slasher. 
wants to know. I'm not going to answer that one either. <laughs> yes, you are. Okay. All right. You're such a taskmaster. I, I am. That's why, that's why I'm producer <laughs> Joe. All right. The Shrimp Shack Slasher wants to know, with Mick being a musician and music playing important roles in his movies, what is one of his favorite needle drops in another horror movie? Well, Blue Moon in An American Werewolf in London is classic. Um, there are a bunch of them, but that's the first one that comes to mind. And in fact, An American Werewolf in London has several moon-oriented songs in yes. it, and they all work great, and it's a great theme that, that Landis pulled off. But that would be the, the first one that comes to mind. And it is a classic one at that. All right, Mark has a question about sleepwalkers. Oh, dear. He asks, do you think the film is thematically about trying to maintain your innocence, trusting someone with bad intentions, and putting your family above everyone else? What do you think, Mick? Well, it is to a certain extent, and it is about trusting someone who feels trustworthy and finding out that they are not. Um, it is innocence versus the opposite of, ex of innocence, which isn't experience necessarily. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about characters who've had to wear disguises for hundreds of years, if not thousands, uh, versus a virginal young woman in Midwestern United States. So uh, that theme is an Im important one to that. So I would have to go along with the... Uh, with Mark. Yeah. Oh, good. Mark, your reading of Sleepwalkers is accurate. Uh, Demir writes, you've adapted Stephen King, Clive Barker, and Mick Garris. <laughs> Are there any other authors you're dying to adapt for film and television? Well, I almost adapted uh, some things by several different authors like Richard Matheson and some other people, but um, the closest was I almost did Clandestine, a novel by James Elroy, who is who's an amazing author. L.A. Confidential. Um, L.A. Confidential is magnificent, and yes. Black Dahlia is uh, just mind-bending. It's Those three books are incredibly good. Tell me what attracted you to his work. <clears throat> I've always loved noir, L.A. noir, uh, books, movies, all of that, and the opportunity to not necessarily have everything I do be in the horror field, but still it's got a lot of suspense and, and those elements of noir, right. the darkness of character and, and the like that are so fascinating and compelling in, in a story, whether it's on a page or on a screen. And I met him once um, at a book fair and it was right after I'd made the stand and he mm. wanted me to option white jazz um, and white jazz is an experimental novel, the writing of it as if a jazz musician was writing it because it's a lot of incomplete sentences and bebop oh, wow. and, and yeah. uh, you know, just it's really a difficult movie. What, what do you think made him think you would be right for that one? Well, I think he was looking for anybody he met to make the movie <laughs> out of it at the time because it, it was such a tough thing to adapt that I did not pursue that. Right. Um, and uh, it was made years later, and it was not a particularly good movie, so I, I didn't regret it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, didn't regret it. But, 
you know, Elroy is a fascinating character. He's hugely eccentric and I think knows it. And his politics are all over the place weird. Yeah. Uh, what 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 was it about the um the book that you did want to do for him? What was what was the Well uh, Clandestine was actually optioned by Mark Sennett, who was my producer on um a couple of the King miniseries. Ah. And uh so we actually were developing it. He'd had a script written, and then I was doing the rewrite, and we just couldn't get it set up. And now there are some pretty unsavory things about it that you couldn't make it today, right. and I would gladly not make it today because <laughs> of those elements. Sure. There, there are some very unseemly portrayals of, of gays and the like, and mm. uh, it's just an uncomfortable book to read. I reread it recently and thought, yeah, I'm really glad I didn't make that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is amazing how much has changed even since the 90s, uh, yeah, yep. especially in terms of, of, you know, tone and, and whatnot and yeah, what you can uh, say and can't say. And yeah. And you know. a lot of it with very good reason. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Ian wants to know, speaking of uh, things changing, Ian wants to know, what do you make of the Russo brothers comments this week about developing feature films to be more like TikTok? And pushing the narrative that theaters are dead to younger audiences, especially when there's been movies like Top Gun, Smile, Barbarian, and Terrifier 2 overperforming. Well, I haven't read those. I don't read much of that stuff. <laughs> but for people whose entire careers have benefited from giant screen uh, marketed movies, it seems kind of silly to me. Yeah. And uh, condescending and... and you know, okay, you guys make movies for TikTok for the rest of your career. Sure. But no, yeah. I don't know them yeah. uh, right. other than. And by the way, work, for the record, neither do I. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. The only Joe Russo I know is sitting in the room right here. <laughs> yes. And he's not a Marvel. Uh, no, not, not, I mean, not that I wouldn't want to be, but yeah, I'm but, not yet. But uh, no, and so it's, it's not really fair of me to give an opinion on something I haven't read. But if that is the, ju- uh, the gist of of their comments it it just baffles me yeah yeah no i mean it's 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 odd to kind of proclaim that the box office look i mean the last two years have been very hard for the movie theater theatrical business right yeah uh, but for, other than that reason. the yeah. entire theatrical box office business has been dominated by them and marvel sure yeah before that absolutely but but yes yeah, it's, it's weird to be like hey we're we're part of the reason that uh uh, it's harder to make money for smaller movies at the, at the box office. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but I mean, you know, I mean, it, kind of looking at that and, and taking the pandemic out, I mean, it has been a pretty good year at the box office as, as th- the world is healing. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's hard to be like, oh, wow, the original movies and smaller movies are dead when literally this week, Smile just crossed $200 million. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank goodness movie theaters are there. Yes, they're hurting. They're not where they were. Um, and part of that is because um, it was so dominated by event movies, the sure. Marvel movies and Top Guns and, and event movies like that. But people seem to be returning to the theaters for the smaller films, mostly in the horror genre. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson last year kind of famously said during his press tour for Licorice Pizza uh, that he was excited about a Spider-Man movie being big at the box office because 
it got people more comfortable with going back to the theaters again, and therefore they might they might open their hearts and wallets to <laughs> something like a licorice pizza. Yeah, and, uh, and that's true. It does take a big hit movie yeah. that crosses all uh, the quadrants um, to be able to get people into the habit of going to the movies again and remembering how much fun it can be to see a movie shared with an audience on a big, big screen. Yeah, I mean, I remember my first movie back post-pandemic was seeing with you uh, the premiere of the most recent Saw movie, Darren, Darren Bozeman's right, uh, right. Uh, book of book Spiral, the book of Saw. Right. Uh, and I'll never forget because it was like, you know, I, I basically felt like I was gripping my mask to my face to hold it tighter because there were so many people in the room yeah. and I hadn't, I hadn't uh, been around that, you know, in, in quite some time. I mean, you would, I think had the vaccine for a little while and you'd gone back to a couple of movies, but that yeah. was my first experience. And like, the idea of uh, reaching my hand to popcorn and then putting it in my mouth was was <laughs> terrifying. Terrifying, <laughs> much more frightening than watching a saw. Movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, it would have it would have been like a saw uh, <laughs> uh, gimmick for me to to have experienced. But but um, but yeah. But as I started to go back further and further, and I started to like figure out how to be comfortable with seeing movies during a pandemic. I got back into the habit. So yeah, so I I, I, I guess I'm just saying uh, the point being, you know, I think it is a good thing that something like Top Gun came along because I think it helped kind of lift up the box office for the rest of the summer. Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, this all came out of the discussion of the Russo brothers, which uh, I'll, I'll say again, I did not read and, yeah. and don't know, but I, sure. I, I'm just completely baffled by the statement by people who've made a career of, tentpole movies yeah i i really do think you know they're they're basically the the context of the, the quote was they don't think that gen z has the same relationship with theaters that their generation well that's true have. and that I, is true. i don't argue yeah. with that yeah. if that's what they said it yeah. is true younger um, people don't go to the movies as much as they used to right they have access to movies on all their other devices, yeah. uh, often day and date, that they're in the movie theaters. But see, here's here's where I would push back on that theory, uh, because you know when you do see something like Smile and Barbarian, like Gen Z is going to those movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not yeah. it's not just all older generations. Fun. No, you don't, but not you don't as get... much of Gen Z. Sure, you know, we used to have bigger turnouts for yeah. movies than we do now. True, there is more competition for their attention. But I would yeah. also argue that like when I was growing up. That was the advent of VHS yep. and DVD, right? And video games. And so, yeah, like, they keep predicting the end of the movie theater, and uh, with luck, uh, th they'll keep being wrong. Yeah, and I guess that's that's my point. Is like I had plenty of distractions when I was a kid to keep me from going to movies, but I love the experience of going to movies, and I yeah. love seeing. I think everyone loves seeing a great movie in the theater with an audience. Absolutely, you know. And so, I I don't think that Gen Z is immune to that. I mean, we took. Uh, my friend's five-year-old CET this summer in the theater, uh, and it blew his mind. That's you know? so great. Yeah, so you and know that's a movie from forty years ago. I, absolutely. So I think I guess my my the the you know I think the weird thing is like the idea that Gen Z won't come to movies. I think is is a, is, a, is a falsehood. I think they will come if you give them a great movie. If you build it, they will come. I think so. Yeah. I really do believe that. Uh, well, on that note, Mick, 
Yes. <laughs> another another uh, AMA in the books. We've got some exciting guests coming up through the end of the year. Uh, excited to wrap up season six. Six. Six seasons of postmortem. Who Good knew? Lord. <laughs> Who knew? Oh my God! We've yep. done almost 140 interviews. Incredible. Something like Incredible. that over the course of the six years. And uh, we're still coasting along and having a good time with it. So That's thank right. you, Joe. And thanks for everybody out there. And uh, if you guys want to send us questions for our last couple Ask Mick Anythings for the season, for the year, uh, you can send them to Mick on Twitter and Instagram at Mick Garris PM. Uh, you can also send them to me at Joe Russo Tweets and at Joe Russo Graham, respectively. And even and more importantly, is we have an email. Ask Mick anything at gmail.com. So uh, send us your questions and uh, you can ask anything and I probably will answer. Even if he takes issue with your username. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank All you, Mick. Fun. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.